Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the program, and it is show 130, and happy to be on with you, happy to be back. We took last week off with all that was happening uh, around schools in our country, so uh, no episode last week, but we are back and uh, happy to be with you, uh, happy to be a member of the Education uh, Podcast Network, uh, live on Facebook here as well as on Voice Ed Radio Canada. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and I'm really excited today. He's a return guest. He's a, a great friend. He's a great mentor. We're going to meet Dr. John Bell, uh, Delaware Valley Superintendent of Schools, Milford, Pennsylvania. He's a Port Jervis, New Yorker, but he's been on, on Delaware Valley. He's been on both sides of the river. If you're local, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so we're going to meet Dr. Bell in a moment. Uh, and it's an honor to have him on. Shout out to my mom. She's watching. Hi, mom. I know you're my biggest fan. I appreciate it. Uh, and I also want to thank today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Rocketbook. These are the Andrew Murata personalized Rocketbooks. If you never heard of a Rocketbook, well, here it is, right? Brand new. I just opened it. And they are reusable notebooks, right? So if you look here, I can designate on here where I want my content to go. I'm going to take a bunch of notes today from Dr. Bell. I know I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to take a bunch of notes. And then right down here at the bottom, I can designate, I'll label these where I want them to go. It can go to your Google Drive. It can go to your email. It can go to a text message. It can go to Dropbox. It can go to a number of those places. And then I'll have my notes. If you have neat penmanship, it will also transcribe it into an email. I don't have that neat penmanship, uh, uh, penmanship, but you do have to write neatly. The Andrew Murata Rocket Book, these are on sale on my website. Uh, Dr. Bell is getting one today for coming on the show, so uh, we appreciate that. Uh, and you can check those out on my website or on rocketbook.com. So let's get started. It's show 130. Uh, congratulations to all of our graduates out there, and certainly uh, congratulations to all of the school administrators and teachers uh, and all the staff that work in, in schools that help make graduation happen, right? Ours in Port Jervis is on Friday. Dr. Bell facilitated a wonderful ceremony uh, last weekend in Milford, Pennsylvania that went very well. We're going to ask him about that. But congratulations to all of you. An opening quote, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers, right? I'm going to say that again. There's a lot of rhyming in there. Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And Dr. Bell is an example of that. Uh, I've known uh, Dr. Bell almost 20 years now and really is an example of uh, a leader who uses books, who reads books, and then shares them with others. He has a traveling library. He has a library in his home. You know, they talk about the greats, right? I've heard so much about Bill Belichick's library and so many great leaders and the books they read, right? Uh, Dr. Bell is a voracious leader. And whether he has visited my class at LIU, whether he has facilitated a retreat or a workshop for other leaders, he'll share his books, right? And he just doesn't give them away randomly. You sign up so he knows who took what book. Um, but kind of like Phil Jackson did with the Bulls, he gears books towards maybe younger administrators that he works with uh, to, to help guide them in maybe an area that they're excelling in and they can get better, or maybe an area of growth 
uh, and gets that book to that person. So that is a, a great leadership technique and a great leadership skill. And uh, I think that is, uh, uh, you know, wonderful that Dr. Bell does that. And uh, he did it for me and I'm building my library, right? So that is a, a challenge to you out there. Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Let's meet Dr. Bell. I'm going to bring him into the program here. Uh, and it's an honor to have him on. And boom, there he is, live from Milford, Pennsylvania. Dr. Bell, welcome to the program. Andrew, thanks for having me, buddy. It's been a long time uh, since I was on the air with you many moons ago. You were one of, I think, in the top 10, one of our first guests. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, being cramped in that little radio studio doing that. It was great. It was great. So it's good to be back. WDLC, and now we're live here on Facebook, and uh, this will be going out on social media. And Dr. Bell, I want to open with, you know, about the reading and the books. What, what made you start building that library and, and kind of where did you get that from? Well, you know, the bottom line is it started way back. I was probably 22 years old and I had just graduated from college. And uh, I was so used to going to the library every night, reading, reading, reading when I was in school. When I got out of school and started work um, on, on a, a job with a Wall Street firm, I had nothing to do at night after work. I was a single guy. So that's when I started reading books and I started doing about 50 50 books a year. Wow. And now I'm probably down with, with a wife and kids, I'm probably down around 25 to 30 books a year. But I still enjoy reading so much. I really do. Yeah. And do you agree with that, uh, the statement that uh, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, it's, I say the two things that have probably shaped me the most growing up as a, as a young administrator to now being one of the old guys is uh, what I learned from playing sports and from the leadership books I read. I don't read any fiction. Everything is nonfiction. It's either business leadership, biographies, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a great thing that you did. And again, sharing at our retreats and things like that. Um, and for our audience that doesn't know Dr. Bell, uh, he is the superintendent of Delaware Valley Schools. Um, he's a professor in, in college. He's done a lot of things. He's worked in New York. He's worked in Pennsylvania. Um, and speaking of Pennsylvania, Dr. Bell, how did things shake out for you and your district? You just had your graduation. But overall, right, if you had to give Delaware Valley a, a report card or an evaluation of, of online learning and, and, and managing the COVID and the school closures, you know, what would you say? Well, you know, I think our teachers and our kids did a great job uh, in circumstances that we never would have imagined we were going to be in. You know, that's the first thing. And we were asked to build an, uh, an online school for 4,500 kids in less than two weeks. And it, it's probably unthinkable, but it's just amazing what people do when when uh, the rubber meets the road. And OK, guys, we got to come up with a plan. And we did it. You know, I mean, I worked Saturdays, Sundays, nights. There were some nights I was here 16, 17 hours a day. Uh, but they made it work. Is it as good as being a uh, teacher and kids in front of the class in the classroom? No, it's not. It's not the same as real teaching. The online learning is has, is not as good. Uh, but we did the best job we could, and and we started with live instruction, new instruction right away. You know, and we we taught like crazy. And actually, at the end, we actually covered our curriculum before school was actually over because we didn't have to stop for three weeks for test prep and giving all the state exams. It was so nice the first time in almost 20 years that we didn't have to take a whole chunk of April and save it for state exams. So yeah. that the, the silver lining of a really bad situation. And and Dr. Bell, what would you say was something that was really good and maybe something like, oof, 
this we can't do this again if we're if we're virtual again. I, I think the hard part was the consistency, trying to get that consistency from teacher to teacher, grade level to grade level, and things of that nature. That's the hard part. Um, you know, so we were constantly working on that. I mean, the, that was the downfall is that, oh, my social studies teacher does this, but my science teacher does that, you know, that comparison that they weren't the same. So if we ever have to do that again, say next school year or whatever, we'll be more uniform. Uh, but the great part of it is that teachers did some really creative stuff. I mean, I was seeing videos, parents were sending me videos of funny stuff teachers were doing to kind of catch kids' attention. And there was a moral to the, to the story. I got a teacher walking through the woods pretending to find something in the leaves. And it was all about his sixth grade social studies lesson. And you just can't, you know, that ingenuity and creativity is what hooks kids. Yeah. Yeah. And we have some people watching guys. If you have a question for Dr. Bell, uh, please put it on there. Ray Torres, appreciate him uh, watching and, and serving on our Port Jervis uh, uh, school board. And and Dr. Bell, we're, we're engaging, right? I can see you, you can see me, we're yeah. talking, we're connected. I found that so many of the sessions that are on, people turn off their screens and they turn off their mics and they make it more passive. So kudos to those teachers that did try to get the kids and then find ways for them to participate, whether it was Mentimeter or other uh, ways that they can connect the kids without verbally talking or verbally seeing each other right. or seeing each other. Right. And that's, yeah. all, that's what school's all about. School's about connections. You know, if you're a teacher, your job is you're trying to hook kids into liking school. What's it going to take to get them to like school? It might be my subject area. It might be extracurricular activity. It's all about hook, and it's that connectivity piece. Yeah. And Dr. Bell, right, you, you grew up in Port Jervis, and you're in Milford, Pennsylvania, both small communities, big in our hearts, but <laughs> but small in the big picture. But one of the things you've, you've done that, again, I admire, you're taking the work that we're doing in this local area and, and brought it on national levels serving on national conferences, you know, and, and what would you say that you, you share about DV when you're, when you're at these national conferences and some of the things that you're celebrating nationally for our community? Yeah, I mean, I describe it as that we're, geographically, we probably, we look like a rural school district, but our performance and our offerings match the best suburban schools that you might see in whether it's Westchester County in New York or Bucks County in Pennsylvania or something like that, Montgomery County in Maryland, you know, so it's very unusual that you can be a rural setting and have a suburban powerhouse school district like we have. But it's it's not something that happens overnight. It was a 30-year project. You know, this goes back to Tom and Candy Finan and, and their boss before them, a guy named Jim Melody. Uh, you know, Delaware Valley's had great continuity. I'm only the fourth superintendent in 40 years at Delaware Valley. Wow. Uh, like the Steelers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and for the most part, we promote from within. We have a couple, we have two retirements in my central office cabinet this year. Both promotions are from within. Assistant principals are becoming, well, principals are becoming directors. Uh, assistant principals are becoming principals. And then our teachers are becoming the assistant principals. So yeah. every hire was an internal this year. It doesn't always work that way, but it's great when you can grow your own leadership pipeline. Well, and they know your systems that are in place. They know what working. I mean, the DV5, right? I mean, if my kids are coming home and singing about seven habits and the DV5 and they're singing it, yeah. you know it's working. But we're an example of, of a family that moved from New York City to this area. And one of the best things about it was the schools, right? Yeah. We looked long and hard at that. And we're here because of that hard work of people like you. So kudos uh, uh, to the area. Thanks. Next, 
Dr. Bell, you know, you're you're an expert in so many areas of education and leadership. Uh, and one of them is a you know decision making. You know, I've always admired the, you know, and, and people bounce things off you. What's, what's your process in making hard decisions? You know, and what advice would you give on that? The first thing I tell, we have a lot of young administrators. The first thing I tell them is when you're really wrestling with a decision, don't make it before you have to. You know, sometimes just let's sleep on it. I'll say to them all the time, we might do final interviews. We often do do reams and reams of interviews at the building level. And the top two finalists will come to my office to meet with me and my director of secondary ed or my director of elementary ed. And one of the, and if we're really struggling, wow, they're both really good. What are we going to do? I would say, let's sleep on it. We'll regroup tomorrow. You know, and I learned that it was in Rudy Giuliani's leadership book about don't make a decision before you have to, because sometimes that think time, uh, you're, you just, sometimes you don't think about it, but your brain is going while you're asleep and you wake up in the morning and it's like this great epiphany. Uh, other times you just get more information a day or two later that you didn't have earlier. And that helps change things too. So don't make a decision before you have to. Uh, when you're new to a position, I, I always ask the question, I probably drive people crazy. I always say, what have we done here in the past when something like this happened? I always wanted to know what was the routine or the protocol before and that helps me inform my decision. I may follow that protocol, or this may be my chance to alter the protocol. But it's good to know what it was in the past and where the landmines were and things of that nature. And do you take things that like stick in your gut? You know, I always remember my dad, he's the community board member in Staten Island. And, and while that was a volunteer position, he hired the paid position. So and they had a lot of weight back in the community back then. Um, and he was hiring uh, his the next person with him, and like you said, two really good candidates. And one thing stuck out in his mind: the person that came in was had a PBS bag, and he said, if this person's involved with PBS, the public broadcasting station, they he knew they were involved with the community, and it was that little thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Do ever things like that happen where whether they say something or do something that really catches your attention? Does that happen to you? It does. And, and sometimes also it may be something that you find on their resume, that it may be way down at the bottom. It may be a community activity, a volunteer service, but it speaks more about what the per, who the person is and what they're like. And I always say that we don't ask a lot of curriculum questions when we come to the final round. We're really, and I really worked and people have picked up on it and, and followed my lead. Is that we're really looking for the fit. Okay, they've sent us two great people for this high school social studies job or high school math job or whatever it is. We're looking for, I'm spending all the time trying to probe this person to find out, is this person going to fit in on our team? Are they going to have those collaboration skills to be working professional learning community teams? Or are they going to be one who goes in, closes their door and does their own thing? Because we don't do that here. And that's not, we believe that the synergy, Covey's habit, number six is synergy, that one plus one equals a lot more than two. You know, so we need people who can work on a team and be part of a team. So that's a big thing I look for. And, and a lot of times your resume might tell you about certain things in your background. It's just an example that might lead me to think, okay, this is a team player. It's not I, I, I. Well, the greatest team player you knew is your dad and, and our friend Erica Polanis here. Erica Roki is asking, can you share a, a leadership lesson from your father? I remember it was 1980. And uh, one of my cousins was getting married out in Ohio. And my dad passed up a chance to take a test for a promotion. He, he worked for years, 34 years at uh, the Mid-Hudson Psych Center. And he passed up a promotion 
because we were going to the wedding. And I remember him telling me that, that, you know, don't worry about it. Missing this wedding would be something I would always regret. I can always take the test another time, you know, and that always stuck with me. And I don't know why. And I've never really ever talked to my dad about it in all the other years since then till his passing, but that's just one example. And, and since his passing, I've learned a lot about, uh, uh, kids who are no longer kids. Now they're in their 30s, 40s, or 50s telling me stories about when he had Bell Sporting Goods about they bought shoes at cost or he gave them a pair of spikes or he gave them a pair of sneaks or whatever because they didn't have money. I never knew that, of course. He never shared that. But after he passed, so many people uh, have shared those stories with me. And it's just, it's really touching. It is. Yeah. And thanks for watching, Erica. That's a great story, John. Uh, and now you have had such an impact in this community. And whether, again, it's Milford or Port Jervis, you know, John, what would you say, like, how do you handle being in the small town? We see you out in the restaurants, like, but you're always on as Dr. Bell. It's, you, you can't, you know, and sometimes that can be hard, right, to decompress. How do you manage being a leader in, in a small town? It's hard. I mean, you... Um it's much harder than if you lived out of town. There's no doubt about it, but there's certain positives about it as well. As people see me out at community events, they see me in restaurants, they see me in Price Shopper. Uh, they know that I'm not just collecting money on a paycheck here. I'm spending my money here too. You know, I'm investing my money back into my community. I donate a lot of money to our local uh, not-for-profit organizations and things of that nature. But, but basically, I, I'm superintendent pretty much 24-7. You know, I'm on call at all times. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, you try to find private time to decompress, and it's hard. Uh, but I just hunker down in my yard and do yard work and things like that when I just need to chill. Or I go out with a hat and sunglasses, and now the mask is even better. That's <laughs> a mask. I, I'm pretty much incognito as long as nothing says DV on my apparel. You know. <laughs> well, and kudos to your family because they're always so gracious. Uh, you always have a, a kind word to, to stop and talk to my children or, or other or students. And you always know their names uh, and your family, just your wife. God bless her, right? Just always so gracious to, to allow you to, to share like that. And that's a nice thing to see our school leader in the community. Thanks. Thanks. I think they're used to it. You know, my wife and kids are used to it. Uh, my wife's a very quiet, private person. We never talk about school. Um you know, A, she probably doesn't care, and B, it's nice for her not to know anything so that if people stop her, you know, in the milk aisle at Price Chopper, she can honestly, honestly say, I don't know. Because with part of my decompression at home is that we never talk about school, you know. And, I, and the other thing is I never worry about other people. I don't want other people to worry about things I'm worried about. If I'm worried about it, that means my mind is spinning and I'm going to come up with a solution. But there's no sense having extra people worry about stuff. Yeah. And there was so much to, you know, worry about and think about this spring here with what happened. And you're part of the, the reopening, John. You're on the, you know, the Pennsylvania Education Reopening Committee, right? You're serving on so many of these leadership committees. You know, is there anything that you could share from the committee and kind of where what we think this might look like in the fall? Yeah, it's really hard. We had a 138-page document uh, that we put together, everything from curriculum, to extracurriculars, to special education, to facilities, to communications, all these different subgroups. And we put together this huge document and it's really just a guidance document to help people to administrators, school boards and people back home in their local communities 
to give them some ideas. And we poured through it today with my central office cabinet. I had them all read their respective sections and we poured through it today talking about the things we need to start prepping for for the fall and what things that if we haven't ordered things, what things do we need to order, whether it's extra plexiglass, extra disinfectant fog machines, what have you. I mean, we've been buying stuff since before we closed. We were buying stuff in early March thinking, okay, if worst case scenario happens, what are all the things we need to start buying before everybody else tries to buy it and they're out of stock? Um, so, but the guidance document is just to give people ideas. Every district is different. Every district has a slightly different community, a different makeup of kids. But the idea is to put this document out so people can say, oh, I didn't think of that. Uh, thank God I read this. I didn't think of that. You know, and it helps them have a more thorough plan to reopen. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I know there's no answers, right? And, it, and it's probably going to look differently. But are you, are you feeling from people that they want an answer, that they want to know? It, well, it's interesting that uh, in my intermediate unit district, which is like a BOCES in New York, um, they some of the districts did a survey in uh, late May about whether kids wanted to come back or whether they were going to seek online solutions. And about 80% of the families said they were already prepared to send their kids back. Uh, I spoke to a couple districts in Wayne County, which is just to my west, and they've just recently done some surveying in June and their stats say over 90% of people are ready to send their kids back. We're gonna do our survey around two weeks, give or take around July 4th, just to get our first pulse from the community of how many people are willing to come back. If they're willing to come back, are they more likely to take the bus or drop their kids off just to avoid the bus? Cause some people think of that as a germ pit, which I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but- It's a vocabulary uh, pit, I know that. <laughs> They learn a lot of things we wish they didn't learn, right, <laughs> on the bus. So, um, so, it, but it, 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 yeah, every community is a little different. But our goal is that everybody in our region is going to have a plan that's probably going to be about 80% similar with about 20% variation. We're trying to all stay relatively on the same page. So it's not, hey, how come you're not doing this, but your next door neighbor district is? You know, we're trying to uh, eliminate some of that finger pointing stuff that could happen if we don't coordinate. That's smart, similar to what the states are doing here in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And John, you mentioned about sports being such a part of your life, right? And these spring sports got ripped away from kids. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think are going to be some repercussions uh, from this? It's tough. It's sad. It's a, you know, the one thing I will say is kids are resilient. You know, and I've told some seniors, hey, think of it as. Um, no different than if you blew out your knee in March at preseason practice and you missed your senior season. You would hate it, but it happens. It's happened to kids before. Um, I also feel bad for the juniors because they're the ones, juniors in spring sports are the ones who are trying to show off for colleges. Because usually by senior year, spring sports athletes have already committed somewhere. The junior year is when you really get a look for spring sports. So it's hard, been hard on the juniors too, not just the seniors. So I try to get people to remember, don't forget about the other grades too. You know, it's not just the seniors. The seniors, yeah, they lost out on prom. They lost out on a traditional graduation. But don't forget about the other kids, too. They're they're hurting in, in certain respects, too. But, but kids are more resilient than adults. Adults will whine more. Kids will suck it up and make it happen. Yeah. And it's just, it's been so odd. I, my kids are very active. And just to be home every night, right? Like, I've loved having the time. But now, again, signups are happening for the fall. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, do we do it? Uh, but I just think there was a lot of loss there. Think of all the lessons you learned, right, uh, yeah. through sports. Nobody nobody lost this spring. Nobody got cut 
this spring. Nobody got an elbow in the chin, right? right. And they didn't have any of those lessons. Right. They're all learning experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But we got to, got to have dinner at home every night. Got to share stories and board games. And That's why my yard looks so good. I never had so much time. <laughs> Normally this time of year, I'd be out every night, you know, between concerts and assemblies and scholarship night and all those other things. My God, my yard is like, it's unbelievable. It'll never look like this again. <laughs> John, we mentioned about the books. That's something that you engage in personally in, in sports. And, and I see your shirt on there. You know, something we share in common is the love of officiating. Uh, and again, if you don't know Dr. Bell, he was a Little League World Series uh, umpire. And, uh, you know, again, lessons from officiating. Can you tell that story, John? What was that like for you to uh, umpire in that World Series and uh, you know some some of your greatest uh, leadership lessons in officiating? Yeah, um, I, I always tell people it's 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 the strangest thing and and it's almost indescribable. Um, it, it, picture you know someone who loves Disney being able to go to Disney for two weeks and not have a care in the world. Basically, that's what happened for me. I went to my dream place, Williamport, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and every day I got up and went to the ballpark and spent the whole day at the ballpark umpiring, watching games, whatever, go back to the Hampton Inn, fall asleep, get up the next day. It was like being a kid again in summer vacation. You know, uh, it was just the most incredible experience, you know, and you get to meet some of the people, you know, Nomar Garciapara and, and Carl Ravage and the gang from ESPN who were there for the whole two weeks with us. You know, we went out one night after I had umpired the plate for a game between, I think it was Tennessee and Washington. And, and in there comes Nomar and all these guys from ESPN. They come over, they get a bunch of pictures with us. I mean, it was just things like that. Joe Torrey got inducted to the Little League Hall of Fame that year. So we got to meet with Joe. I mean, just it, it, it's just one of those once in a lifetime experiences. But the thing is, it took 20 years to make it happen. It took a plan for 20 years to get there, truly. And I remember watching one of the games, you know, they, they challenged your call and you had to go look at the monitor. And of course you got it right. And, uh, you know, so happy for you to, you know, but again, it goes back to those tough decisions. Uh, but a lot of experience in that one moment, making those correct calls. Yeah, we had one too. The, uh, the night after you came when we got rained out and then had to have a game on that Friday, which is normally the rest day before semifinals. And we had an extra inning game and there was an interference call. Uh, it, was, it was the bottom of the last inning. They brought one of the outfielders into the infield. So there was an extra infielder in because they couldn't let the kid from third score. They would have lost the game. So they brought the center fielder in. And don't you know that one of the runners runs into the fielder while the fielder is trying to field the ball? And there's absolute chaos in the stadium. And <laughs> nobody can hear anything. I'm doing second base. The third base umpire throws his hands up and say, yells, dead ball. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Kids are running all over the place. And we huddle all six umpires together and said, boys, I said, boys, here's how this works. We're not going to screw this up because none of us will do the championship game if we do. So <laughs> tell me again what you saw and when you saw it, you know. And then I said, OK, here's what we're doing. You know, I, that was one of those situations where you had to take charge because uh, you've got six guys on the field from all over the world who all have all different life experiences. And maybe they haven't had leadership experiences where they're ready with 40,000 people screaming. Uh, and I just said, boys, here's what we're doing. Okay, tell me what you saw. When did you see it? Okay, here is what we're doing. I'll go tell ESPN what's going on. You know, and that's one of those times where you just have to step up because crazy stuff happens. And the more experience you have, the better prepared you are for those kinds of things. Yeah. 
And that's just one example, right, of how your officiating helps you be a problem solver in your in your real job as a school superintendent. What are some other things that you took off the field, John, as a, an umpire that you use to help guide a school district? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, you might have two staff members that disagree. You might have an issue between a parent and a teacher or a community person and a principal. So a lot of times you have to be that third party mediator. You know, sometimes you are the umpire to help sort through things. You know, there's this version and that version and the truth is somewhere in the middle. And you play the role as the judge, referee or umpire to try to meet in the middle or come up with some kind of maybe a third alternative. Uh, but literally, uh, you know, I, I said, when you're an assistant principal, you almost feel like a police detective, you know, because you run around all the time trying to get the evidence and everything back in the AP days. I remember that so well. Uh, I don't miss it one bit. Uh, but at my role, it's more like the umpire or the referee trying to sort it all out, you know, and come up with a reasonable solution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are great stories. And uh, again, I know you did one of your meetings for school from there. I tried to get you on the ESPN set, but I love that story. And uh, I know you still do games uh, from time to time. I just think there's so many comparisons of being a school leader as well as an official because yeah. you got to make the tough call. You're in the limelight. Mm -hmm. Sometimes no matter what you do, people aren't happy. And uh, right. I just love that about uh, that you and I share that in common. Mm -hmm. um, John, you've accomplished so much in your lifetime, right? And I know you have those list of goals and we've talked about goal setting. You know, what are some other things on there that you still want to do? Well, it, it's uh, I took a look at it last night because I figured you might ask me about it. Uh, there's 102 things on my list. I think I'm up to 64, 65 of them are done. The last couple that I've gotten done, um, uh, in the fall, I got to go to London and Paris. I had never been to Europe ever. And I got to go to both of those when one of my nephews was studying abroad. And then I just went to the National Superintendents Conference in San Diego in February. You know, I was presenting there. Um, and, and there are three cities that were all on my list. Another one was to be uh, president. Uh, I kind of sort of got this goal, but I didn't accomplish it completely. One of my goals way back in 1992 that I wrote was that I would be president of the New York State Council of Superintendents. Well, I didn't get that, but I'm going to be president next year of the Pennsylvania Council of Superintendents. So I'm going to give myself a check mark for that. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I had to alter the state, but the, the plan was still the same to be president of the association. So, yeah. Uh, there's travel things on there. There's more things. I still want to write a book, you know, um, and uh, and I, I, I have a, more than one book in my head, but I have one that I'm really working on right now. I've just started tinkering with. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it, it, there's lots of stuff on there that I will do after I retire as well, you know, of those, those 102 things. But a lot of, I've gotten to a lot of them. You know, I, I've been lucky. And uh, Frank Beamer, who was the coach at Virginia Tech for many, many years, they interviewed his brother and said, what, what's different about your brother than everybody else? And everybody said, he's just like the rest of us. It's just he had really big dreams and he wasn't, he never took no for an answer. You know, he just kept on plugging. And I like that. I always like, I said, I hope somebody would say that about me someday, you know. So, well, and you mentioned the word retirement, right? And, and when you do retire, right, you've had a long tenure there at DV. You know, what, what are some things you might hope they said that you didn't take no for an answer? But what, what are some other things? Well, the uh, 
from a retirement standpoint, my wife doesn't believe it, but I, I just signed a new five-year contract. That will give me 13 years of superintendent DV if I stayed for the whole contract. Um, and then I would look to retire, but my wife says, I'll believe it when I see it because she doesn't think I can sit still. Uh, I enjoy, I teach at East Stroudsburg University. I really enjoy doing that part-time. I could see myself continuing to do that. Uh, I would definitely probably do consulting. I like to do a lot of work with districts on strategic planning, um, professional learning communities, seven habits. You know, these are all things that are in my wheelhouse that I would be happy to do. Because uh, I would definitely, I can't imagine not having my finger in education in some way, shape or form, you know. Yeah. And I remember you brought that seven habits to, to Port Jervis. And that was one of the first times in my life that I really had professional development for me, right? I had learned different teaching skills or different, you know, smart board things, but for my own personal development. And I would really say, John, that was one of the things that really helped me move forward in, in, in terms of really focusing on my practice. Uh, yeah, it was life changing. And, and I thank you for bringing that to us. Cool. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And I, I remember telling the teachers when we started training teachers at Fort Juris many moons ago, guy that must have been, I don't know, 2007, 2008. I said, listen, this is about making you as a person better and stronger. Uh, it, it, forget about the teacher aspect of it. If, you're, if, you're, if you get your house in order personally, you will then in turn become a better teacher because then you can apply those same skills to your teaching strategies and your, into your profession. But if your house, if your personal house is a mess, it's hard to be great at your job. So let's focus on just making you the best person you can be. And that's what the seven habits are all about. And then in typical John Bell fashion, you trained us to become trainers mm -hmm. where then we were able to teach and we were able to grow by teaching. And that was a great thing uh, that you did. John, again, you've done so much in the districts you've worked at, Minisink, Port Jervis, uh, even Eldred, you know. Is there anything out there that you else you wanted to share or there's a lot of friends and family watching there's a lot of educators watching is there anything else that you wanted to add you know i've had a good run you know i became an administrator at age 29 you know 1997 i was a teacher in eldred was trying to find my first gig it's very hard there are very few elementary assistant principalships because uh, most schools are small enough that they don't have ap's and i got an elementary assistant principalship in kingston new york so I drove 73 miles each way for my first administrative gig. And then I got a chance to come to Delaware Valley the first time when I spent five years as middle school principal. But the one thing that hasn't changed is that, um, you know, my mantra is that think yes first. When people come to you with ideas, it should be yes, unless you can think of a compelling reason to say no. And I've worked with people who it was no, unless they can't think of any reason to say no. Then they have to give in and relent and say yes. But you know, if you're going to lead people, you're going to lead an organization, you're going to lead a community, you got to be positive and think yes first. And I think that's, if you can get your mindset there, everything else will fall in place. Well, you even look at your latest project at Delaware Valley, you got all the, uh, the, the teaching, uh, the, the, the automotive and the, uh, the, the, the uh, culinary, all that great stuff that's happening. So you said yes in a lot of ways there. And I'm so excited for my kids to take advantage of that. Uh, but that's great. I love that. Say yes first. Yeah. I, I also love the one, what if, right? What if, and then fill in the blank. That's right. Another one is uh, act, and this is from Ann Sweeney, who used to be one of the pre uh, president at ABC TV, but it was act as if it's impossible to fail. 
So Dr. Gilbertism, I love it. John, let's get to rapid fire here. I got a bunch of questions. This is a fan favorite. Are you ready? Go for it. Here we go. Last book you read. Uh, it's actually a book that I reread. It's called Winning by uh, Jack Welch, and I have it, have it, have it here. And uh, uh, Buffett called it, Warren Buffett called it, no other management book will ever be needed. And it's a great one to read with your administrative team as well. You're a fan of that Jack Welch. Yep. Got it. Soul. Last movie you saw? Uh, it was actually a documentary about Father Hesburgh at Notre Dame. An excellent, excellent documentary. And of course, Father Hesburgh, and I'm not even Catholic, but Father Hesburgh is one of my favorites of all time. 35 years he was the president of Notre Dame. Wow. Give me a leadership lesson from Father Hesburgh. <sighs> he was very much a systems guy of putting things in place and organizing. He was 34 years old when he was named executive vice president of Notre Dame. There never was such a position, but the president put him in that position and groomed him. And he was in, and they said, and Father Hesburgh said, what's my job? He says, oh, your job is to be in charge of the other four vice presidents. And <laughs> so then he that, you know, cleared clear lines of uh, authority, who reports to whom, what are your responsibilities, your timelines, your accountability pieces, and put all that structure in place over a year and a half. And then at age 35, he was named president of Notre Dame. He was president from 30, uh, age 35 to age 70. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And he was went through everything, civil rights, Vietnam, you know, because, uh, you know, he, he went through the, 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 the 80s, the 70s, the 60s. So he saw it all as president and had to deal with everything, the sit-ins, taking over the buildings, all that stuff. Amazing. Favorite place to travel? Uh, a place called Jekyll Island, Georgia. Yeah. yeah, very quiet, relaxing little vacation place uh, that used to be home to uh, Port Jervis School District uh, spring break. Used to be about 100 people from Port Jervis used to go there on spring break back in the 80s. <laughs> you talked about a lot of things that, that, you know, get you going. What else is something that motivates John Bell? Uh, probably when someone says you can't do that or there's no way you can pull that off. That That's motivation to me. For years, they said, Delaware Valley could never have a marching band, you know, and we went from a little school that didn't have football to now we're in the largest classification. We're a 6A school, which is the largest classification in Pennsylvania sports. And so we had the football team with 100 kids on the field and no marching band. So we said, we can do this. We've got the right people in the music department. We started the marching band and we got about 85 kids in the marching band, great uniforms. The school board had to come up with $250,000 to get it started. They said, we'll find the money. This is so cool. What an opportunity for kids to perform on a Friday night. Our music students perform on a Friday night for the thousands of people that they'd never get an opportunity because they're probably not athletic. They probably have never been on the turf. And now they're getting a show every Friday night. How great is that? Great mixture of the sports and the arts. Yeah. I might have kids in both of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what's something that gets under your skin, John? What's a pet peeve of yours? Uh, people have all these ideas, but they never get anything done. You know, be a doer. Stop telling me about these 52 new initiatives and 51 of them never even get implemented. You know, just how about pick three or four and work them like crazy and make, pick your best three or four and make them work great across the district. Love it. Someone you'd like to meet? Uh, probably Jimmy Buffett. You know, I've been to concerts and I think I've seen him in about seven different states, but I'd love to meet him someday. 
but he's not getting any younger, and neither am I. So I better develop a plan. So. You better get to that concert soon. Maybe he'll be at Bethel once again. Uh, certainly love the music. Um, the most important part of leadership is. <sighs> I would say building relationships. You know, the curriculum, the textbooks, the technology—they're all important. But they're nothing if you don't have relationships with your staff. You know, you have to have relationships. You have to support them. They have to know they can trust you. They have to know that you're going to be consistent and that you're going to be fair. And that all comes from building relationships. Best purchase under $100 that has had a great impact on your life? That's a good question. Um, I would say probably the book for the seven habits training. When I did seven habits training the very first time back in the 90s, you know, I think the book was $75. Uh, other than that, it's probably just a leadership book from my Barnes and Noble. I think they they've got Barnes and Noble has me on speed dial, you know? <laughs> and I support them, not Amazon, because they have brick and mortar buildings, and I want to support them because they got people working in bookstores. And I drive the bookstores, whether it's in Bethlehem or it's in Newburgh, New York, or Bethlehem, PA. I drive to the Barnes and Noble just because I love going to a bookstore. Nice, nice. Getting your doctorate was totally worth it. It was, it was grueling. I think I put on 15 pounds because instead of exercise on the weekends, I spent it at my desk writing. Uh, but it was totally worth it because it opened doors for me that never would have been open to me from a leadership standpoint and from a consultant doing strategic planning or teaching at the college level. That wouldn't have been open to me if I didn't have the doctorate. A donor walks in and gives Dr. Bell a check for $50,000 and says, you don't need any approval. What does Dr. Bell want to do with this money to better serve the school district? 50000 what are you doing with it? That's probably a boring answer, but um, I would put the 50000 in the DV Foundation and then use it for kids in need. You know, because we, we're very fortunate here. We have a lot of things in place and we do a lot of things here, but I'd love to have that that fun to lean on anytime kids need something. And you started that in Port Jervis. You started it there, uh, building that up. That's a great thing. 10 years from now, John Bell will. Retired, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love education, but this job is a very stressful job. It's also a very lonely job because you have no partner. You know, when you're a principal, you have fellow principals lean on. Even assistant soup, you have somebody to lean on. But when you're the principal or the superintendent, you're it. And uh, so it's not a job you can do forever. Uh, the lady who was superintendent before me, Dr. Candy Finan, she was here for 14 years as superintendent. And uh, she devoted her life to this place. And she deserves so much credit for what an awesome place it is. And I was lucky to inherit it from her. Um, and quite frankly, I don't want to break her record. I want her. The guy before her, Jim Melody, who just passed away recently, he was superintendent for 13 years. Candy was superintendent for 14. And then now if I run all five years of this contract, I'd be at 13. And I think that would be a nice place to leave so that she could keep the record. Nice. Very nice. John, so much leadership. You did a great job today. Is there a quote uh, that you want to uh, leave us with? Um, I'll give you two. Uh, if you believe you can, you're halfway there. And the other one is obstacles are those things when you take your eyes off the goal. That's a seven habits. Yeah, stay focused, baby. Stay focused. Don't try to do 100 things. Do five things well and work them, work them, work them. And when people ask you to stray from those five things, politely tell them no thank you. Just work it, work it, work it.
Great stuff. This is Dr. John Bell. Uh, you can find him at Delaware Valley Schools, and they're on Twitter at DBSD underscore Warriors. John, if uh, someone wants to reach out to you for any advice, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, well, actually, probably the fastest way is probably email, and it's jbell at dvsd.org. DVSD is Delaware Valley School District. So jbell at dvsd.org. They can find me on Facebook, too. You did a great job today. We're going to sign off here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. This was, right, this was show number 130. Dr. Bell, we appreciate you coming on. It's always fun, Andrew. Thank you. Stand alive, Josh.